Did you know that as an author, you can write more than just books? Believe it or not, most writing that changes people's lives happens outside of a traditional printed book. Or maybe as much writing happens outside of the printed book. But the challenge is, is that there's less glory in the other kinds of writing you do as an author. But if you are in it to change lives rather than in it for glory, I think you're going to really enjoy this episode about expanding your role as a writer. And we are going to focus today on Sunday School Curriculum, which you may have never considered writing. This is the Christian Publishing Show, the podcast for writers who want to honor God with their writing. And I'm your host, Thomas Umstadt Jr. And before we get started, I just want to say thank you to all of you who became a patron over the last month. The podcast is officially saved. We got enough supporters to keep the podcast going at one episode a month. Uh, There's still a chance to get back to two episodes a month. We just need 48 more patrons, which I think is completely doable. One change we are making to the Patreon, which is exciting, is our goal at 150 patrons was to add blog post versions of the episodes. These are expensive to produce, but I've had several people or several organizations reach out wanting to sponsor the show and are willing to sponsor this blog post version. So I'm excited to announce that we don't have to wait to get 150 patrons for the blog post version. We have corporate sponsors or uh, organizational sponsors, and there is now a blog post version of this episode. So if we mention something, you want to look it up, or if you want to read it, you can. You can find the blog post version at christianpublishingshow.com. And today's blog post is sponsored by the Christian Indie Publishing Association. And I just want to say thank you to SEPA, which is how the acronym is pronounced, for helping make the blog post version of this episode possible. And I'll tell you more about SEPA at the end of the episode. Our guest today is the author of God Moments in My Publishing Life, which is a book that covers 65 years of active participation in the Christian publishing industry. He's written articles, Sunday school curriculum, and books. He's also managed a bookstore, served as the editorial director at three different publishers, and worked as a literary agent for 25 years. Les Stoby, welcome back to the Christian Publishing Show. It's great to be with you again. I love the reactions I get from writers. And we really are writers, not authors. Authors write books, but writers write all kinds of things. And I know that in my life, I've had a much bigger impact on the world writing articles than I have writing books. So let's talk about Sunday school curriculum, because that is perhaps one of the biggest areas of writing. A lot of people don't realize this, but the curriculum world in terms of money, textbooks and and school curriculum is just as big, if not bigger, than all trade publications. So part of this is because college textbooks are insanely expensive, but also it's just because there's so much made and consumed. So if all you're thinking is the kind of book that sells at Barnes & Noble, you're really missing out on a whole different kind of writing. So if somebody's curious about getting started with Sunday school curriculum, where should they start? Well, first of all, you uh, write the Sunday School House, uh, David C. Cook, for example, and and ask them if they de- need anybody to um, write areas in their curriculum development. So there is a lot that could be uh, done for them, but you have to inquire. 
you have to already have skills as a writer. You can't learn on the fly when you're uh, trying to work uh, at that level, but you have first have to study what they do and how they do it because they're not going to give you any assignment if you are not uh, aware of what they do. So how do you learn those skills? How do you learn how to write good curriculum? First of all, need to be able to teach it in one way or another. I taught junior high. I taught young adults. And I taught adults in Sunday schools and churches that I attended. And, and each of them have their own material. And as I taught it, I developed an insight into it. So one of the things that we have to be aware of is that we are communicators. And we don't become communicators by sitting at home and writing. We have to get out and be where the market is. And that includes the curriculum field. I will say in nonfiction, especially the teaching types of nonfiction, yes. so devotionals, curriculum, where you're making a case for something, you're trying to inform it's really hard to present something cold if you haven't already taught on it to a live audience of some kind. Because <laughs> the more you present material, and anyone who's done any teaching knows this, you start to get a feel for the things that make sense and the things that were not explained clearly or the things that were boring. And nothing really beats presenting before a live audience. Because if you're looking at your audience while you're presenting, you can see the very moment <laughs> you start to lose their attention or the very moment when they start to get bored. And then you can go back and tweak it. You can also find out if your jokes are funny. One of the things that I keep telling pastors is that if they really want to communicate to their people, they need to be leading a small group. If they're just doing from the pulpit, and, and giving the message, instead of interacting face-to-face -face with a small group, they're going to miss out on a lot and be less effective than they think they are. You know, if you've ever felt frustrated going to church and you're like, I feel like they're answering questions I'm not asking. That's right. It's right. <laughs> a disconnect. <laughs> and I felt that way from time to time, and you don't want your audience to feel that way, which means you have to actually interact with those people <laughs> and listen to those people we have in society right now, a real uh, shortage of listening. People don't want to listen to their political enemies. They don't want to listen to their theological enemies. And sometimes they don't even want to listen to their own friends. Right. And most of what we want desperately is to be heard. Right? Why are we shouting at each other so angrily? Because we don't feel like we're being heard. So we need to learn the art of listening. And I feel like you got a trial by fire doing that with nine-year-old boys, right? teaching a class of nine-year-old boys. So how did you listen? How did you understand the kinds of questions and challenges that those nine-year-old boys were facing when you were crafting that curriculum for them? As a parent of a boy that age, I was with the Christian Service Brigade group in our church, and I sat with those boys as they worked their projects. I sat with those boys when they recited Scripture. I got a feel for it. It's the same kind of thing that, that happened to me when I was at Moody Bookstore. We had 
uh, a lot of children from neighboring neighborhoods come through our bookstore. They just found it an interesting place to uh, visit. Now, these were African-American kids, and I observed what they were doing. Then in the evening, I observed what their parents were doing, who were going through the bookstore, buying, buying Bibles, whatever, going on to evening school. I had no idea that 10 years later, I would have an opportunity to write curriculum for inner-city junior high boys and girls. It just boggled my mind. Somebody, one of my friends approached me and said, there's a need for this. And at that point, I realized God had created a, a situation where I got a feel for this particular group of young people. It was an amazing thing to understand and experience. Because in this context, we're talking about culture, right? There's often a cultural difference between old people writing curriculum like us yes, and young people going through Sunday school curriculum. Now I realize some churches have Sunday school curriculum for adults. And in that case, you don't have a generational difference, but you still might have a cultural difference. And spending that time and in interacting, if you want to write for a culture, you have to spend time with that culture. And that applies to racial minorities, but also applies to ages, right? And if you want to write for nine-year-olds, you need to know more nine-year-olds than just your own children and not write for yourself back when you were nine because the world is different now. I had an experience at a, a writer's conference last uh, spring where the person who wanted to be mentored came to me and sat down with me and she had sent me material in advance. And I sat down and I said, you know, you're okay as a writer, but you're trying to write for young people and you're over 70 and you're not even touching where their needs are. If you want to write for them as a grandma, you need to listen to the kids that are your grandkids and discover what interests them and how they respond to the stimuli they've got. Now, we've talked about the age difference, and we've talked about the cultural difference, but there's one more bad word I'm going to have to talk about because it really impacts curriculum perhaps more than any other kind of uh, writing that we do, and that is denomination. Oh, yes. <laughs> because I feel like yes. a lot of curriculum is purchased through denominational channels. So walk us through what that looks like. You, you find out that your denominational message may be just a simple word. There's one denomination that we supplied at Scripture Press uh, back in the 90s. They did not want the word church in the curriculum they were buying from us as a church because they didn't want to be labeled as church. Now, that meant I was going through all of the adult material and exchanging the word church with what they really wanted. And it takes time. But if you learn those things along the way, you can do it. It's interesting because our denominational distinctives, we hold them so tightly. And yet they're often over things that to people outside of the denomination don't seem like a very big deal. Right. Like, and, and it's hard with our modern examples. So I'm going to use an old-timey example from <laughs> 1800s. 
there was, and if I remember correctly, there was the 60 gallon Baptists and like the 100 gallon Baptists or something. So the early Baptist denomination, especially in the 1800s, baptism was their really big uh, key denominational distinction. But how many gallons of water you needed for the baptism to be a good Baptist baptism was something that they fought about, right? And that, like, there was like a distinction, like, well, how many gallons of a Baptist? Are you? And obviously that seems silly to us now. And no offense if, if you're a Baptist and, and that is still a, a big issue. I'm, I'm not trying to tr- trigger anyone here. But it, if you were to create a curriculum for this 1800s 60-gallon Baptist denomination, right, and they didn't have anything to do with the 500-gallon Baptists, most of it wouldn't be different. Right. But you'd have to accommodate those denominational distinctives that denomination had. Otherwise, if you didn't, they would reject everything that you had for that denomination. This one little point that they uh, stumble on, and they'll reject the whole curriculum. And and if we wanted them to take the material, it had to fit their perspective. So how do you find out what those denominational distinctives are? Because there are a lot of denominations, and they cluster into different groups, right? So some denominations are really similar to others in certain areas, but not in others. Is it possible to write for denominations outside of your own? Are you stuck if you're a Baptist writing for only for other Baptists? Or how do you navigate that? You navigate it very simply, really. You get the material that already exists with that denominational distinctive. So do your research. Read what you want to write for. And if possible, find somebody from that denomination, perhaps a pastor. Right. And I, would, I wouldn't I would be surprised if a pastor of a smallish church, right? Obviously, a megachurch pastor wouldn't be available to you. But a smaller church, 150 members or fewer, you reach out and say, hey, can I buy you lunch? And I just want to learn about your denomination. Yeah. <laughs> right? and, and most people are very passionate for their denomination, right? They picked it for a reason. They like it. They have a, a strongly held view, especially pastors. And if you as a fellow Christian are, are coming and you're saying, I want to take notes, I'm a writer, right? Don't hide what you're doing, but you're like, I want to be able to understand you better. Another really good friend for research is the references section at the bottom of a Wikipedia article. So Wikipedia is great for good uh, surface information, but it's really good for giving you the next steps of good reputable information where you can find that source material to really deepen your understanding because a single sentence in wikipedia may have a a footnote that takes you to a whole book that teaches you more about that thing so don't uh, underestimate the power of the references and further reading section on wikipedia so now we've talked about the cultural differences we've talked about denominational differences what are some other uh, differences to keep in mind because obviously there's a lot we have in common so how do you write to that kind of core that mere christianity as, as c.s lewis would call it well again it really depends on how much you are willing to study the scripture you need to have a broad knowledge of the bible if you want to write in the christian world i'm I'm teaching an adult class right now. Because of my background and because of a lot of preaching I did through the years, similar passages come to mind. And they come because I've been reading those passages. And 
and I might get a new insight every time I go through them. So one of the things that I strongly recommend is a consistent daily reading of Scripture. You can go through the Bible, or you can start and say, I love the Psalms, so why don't I do the Psalms first? Okay, do the Psalms. You'll get a lot of good, meaty stuff out of the Psalms. Oh, I I like the Apostle Paul. Boy, he, he really had a lot of things to say about life as a Christian, but he also experienced a lot of suffering. And and for people who are experiencing suffering, he's got great passages to remind us of the resources we have with our Savior, Jesus Christ. There is a quote I found. Uh, I was digging through some papers from college. I had a note. One of the guest speakers had said, if your output exceeds your input, your upkeep will be your downfall. He was talking about it in a, a business context, that if your output exceeds your input, your upkeep will be your downfall. But I was like, I think that applies in a spiritual context too. And I was really challenged. I'm like, is my input you know, uh, keeping up with my output, right? Am I have the water flowing in and the water flowing out, right? You want to be the Jordan River, not the Dead Sea, or right, the Sea of Galilee, right. not the Dead Sea. You want to have both uh, inflows and outflows. And I, I don't, I don't know if I'm in balance there, quite frankly. And I think that applies to both writing curriculum and writing devotionals. But let's say somebody's like, I've, I have a good discipline, right? I'm, I am in the Word, and I'm looking at this blank page. I've got the denominational and the cultural stuff. I've spent my time getting to know my audience. I've spent my time getting to know my subject. But now I've got this blank Word document in front of me. What's the next step for crafting that curriculum? I call it prayer. <laughs> you know, are I, you the only one who calls it that? <laughs> no, but I was going to write the uh, journalism curriculum for Jerry Jenkins, and I had about three months to do the lessons, and well over thirty lessons. And I found that every morning when I sat down at my computer, without anything open, and I'd say, "Lord." I need your direction today. I'm looking for your guidance. Where do I start and what do I emphasize? And it was amazing, amazing how day after day he'd give me the outline just like that. Boom, the outline would be there. And then illustrations would pop up in my mind and I'd be writing away furiously. Some curriculum goes through the Bible verse by verse. Other curriculum starts more with the questions that people are asking and is answering those. What are some of the other approaches that you've seen? I imagine oftentimes the curriculum company or the denomination says, no, we have this big structure and they give you an assignment. They're like, okay, today it's Psalms 23. We need you to write a curriculum passage on that. So walk us through the different ways that that looks. Well, I think of one person who was a college level student Sunday meeting, and they had a good crowd. They were doing very well. But he was not happy with the material, he had, the resource material he had. So he approached me as an agent at the time and said, this is what I'd like to do. Is there a market for it? I got him to write his material for that age group as a study guide. And Nav Press picked it up and one book turned into a second book and another third book. 
the opportunities are right before our eyes so often. But sometimes you need to come to a writer's conference. I strongly recommend attending a writer's conference regularly because you can talk to a different editor, a different uh, agent. You can talk to your friends. You make new friends. And as a result of doing that, you get new perspectives. This industry is built on relationships. Yes. Especially when it comes to spiritual matters, who you are is important. It's not just what you have to say. It's also the credibility and the character of the person speaking. And a lot of editors want to get a feel for that. And I imagine more so now. There's always scandals, right? There's always people who fly too close to the sun and they get too puffed up and God humbles them. I mean, you even see that in the Bible. Yes. <laughs> getting humbled by God. Nebuchadnezzar, perhaps most famously. But there's been a lot of it recently. And so now there's more scrutiny. I think the current readers are have a higher expectation of conformity to Christian lifestyle. Right. It, 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 I don't know if that's true. You would know better because you've been around longer than I have. But I feel like current readers, and I, I want to say my generation, but it's really it's all readers, regardless of their age. They really expect you to be living a pretty clean Christian lifestyle to be able to speak to Christian things. And if you have a a big fall, uh, it, it's like no one wants to hear from you anymore after right. that. And and so all of that to say, you know, publishers are wanting to get to know you. <laughs> they want right. to know how complicated are you going to be to work with, or oh, how easy yes. are you going to be to work with, but also to get a sense for your heart, a sense for your character, a sense for, you know, and we, I think we put too much of an es- estimate on how well we can judge someone having met them, <laughs> but regardless people most people feel like that they're a good judge of character if they meet you they can trust you and the easiest place for that to happen is at a writer's conference because that's where the editors are that's where the authors are and that's where they do a lot of their relationship instigating a lot of friendships are started at writers conferences and that's true of agents as well we sh- we cannot overlook the agents role in this because i spent 25 years one on one with writers at conferences all over North America, coming at it as a writer and an agent, I could sense what's going on, and I could usually very quickly provide helpful hints, and and that's true of other uh, agents as well. So for somebody who's writing a book, and they want to create curriculum to go along with that book, and do you have any steps for them? Number one I I really recommend that you first run it through a small group yourself. You can get remarkable input from intelligent Christians in a small group. And I've gotten that over and over again as I've led small groups. So kind of like have a beta test. Uh, We talk about having beta readers, which are your initial readers. So you're talking about having a beta small group. So you create a beta version of the curriculum, and then you take a small group through it to see what kind of questions they have, what was interesting to them, and then you do a revision of your companion curriculum based off of that experience leading the small group. Right. I found that I became skilled as a study guide at the end of a book. And so I was able to write it from some very well-known people for a major publisher. And what I found is that I had to read the material and thoroughly know it before I could write a study guide for it. But then 
more uh, often than not, I would end up teaching it. And that would give me a feeling where I was off track. And the interaction that I was getting helped me write that study guide for the end of a book with a lot more verve, let's put it that way. If I could summarize your kind of message for writers across all of the episodes that we've done so far, it would be that the best writing comes out of a pre-existing ministry to real people. Right. It's that as you're ministering to real people, the best writing comes out of that. Because a lot of writers feel like, if I can only write a book, then I can have a ministry. <laughs> and they're getting it all backwards. Right. The, the, the ministry's got to come first because in ministering to others, you learn how to better minister to others and you learn more about the kind of ministry that others need. Do you have any encouragement for somebody who's in front of that blank page and they're wanting to write curriculum uh, for the first time, or maybe they've written a rough draft of a curriculum and they just don't feel that it's good enough? How would you encourage them? I would, again, encourage them to go to a writer's conference and talk to an editor. It's just as simple as that. Number two, read the material that you are writing for. Take your time to absorb, but because only as you read do you absorb the ideas that are in these lessons. They're not written out of the blue. They come from writers who not only know how to write, but who've experienced the faith that is generic to those who really serve the Lord. The blog post version of this episode is brought to you by the Christian Indie Publishing Association. Since 2004, SEPA has helped independently published authors, small publishers, and authors published by small presses with resources to publish professionally and market effectively. SEPA offers discounts, educational materials, and marketing tools to make your indie publishing experience easier and more profitable. Uh, members receive some really cool discounts, actually, on over 40 publishing resources, including discounted ISBNs, book printing, audiobook production, book brush, and a lot more. To learn more, go to christianpublishers.net. That's christianpublishers.net. I also want to give a special thanks to our new featured patrons. You'll be hearing more about each of these patrons in future episodes, but our featured patrons are Chris Pierce, Deborah Rainey, Scott Miner, Terry, Bernadette Botts, Steve Lobby, Brian Timothy Mitchell, Marlene Bagnell, Kelly Joe Wilson, Meg McDonald, Ann Coker, Janice Gary, Nancy Nigel, and Pam Farrell. Thank you so much for helping keep the Christian Publishing Show on the air. And if you would like to become a patron, you can do so at christianpublishingshow.com com slash patron. The Christian Publishing Show is a production of Author Media. This episode's audio was edited by William Umstadt, blog post by Shauna Lettler, the producer was Lori Christine, and I am Thomas Umstadt Jr., your host. To find the blog post version of this episode, visit christianpublishingshow.com. Thank you for listening, and live long and prosper.